What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host Adam Frommel today. I am, however, pleased once again to be joined by another Adam, who I am very good friends with, Adam Spinella. He is an assistant coach for the Dickinson College men's basketball team, a writer for the Celtics blog, and just an overall basketball, draft, NBA, all of it expert. If you're not following him on Twitter, remedy that immediately. He can be found at Spinella14, spelled exactly as it sounds. You should also be following him on YouTube. He's done a bunch of fantastic draft breakdowns there. Just go to YouTube, search Adam Spinella like I did, and he will most certainly come up. So subscribe to him there. And we are, if you didn't know, going to talk about the draft lottery results, which just came out minutes ago before we recorded this. However, before we start, just a quick shout out to our sponsors, as per usual, betonline.ag, Sunday Ticket, and our new sponsor, Theragun. Without any of them, this podcast would not be possible, so look look to hear from them shortly. Spins, how are you doing? Uh, Dan, I'm doing fantastic. It's always an energizing evening once you see the, the results of the, uh, the ping pong balls and those team logos being drawn from the envelope. So finally, draft season is in full swing. The order is locked in, and now it's just time to figure out who the hell goes where. Right, and look, it's not draft season until the Knicks officially get fucked over in the lottery, which (laughs) happened. They have the eighth pick, and I'll run this down just really quickly, the lottery results. 14 is Memphis, but it goes to Boston. 13 is the Pelicans. 12 is the Kings. 11 is the Spurs. 10 is the Suns. 9 is the Wizards. 8 is the Knicks. 7 is the Pistons. 6 is the Hawks. 5th is the Cavaliers. 4th is the Bulls. 3rd is the Hornets. 2nd is the Warriors. And 1st, overall, the Minnesota Timberwolves. An interesting order, just because the top two teams just had this big trade with one another, uh, where Golden State owns Minnesota's pick, top three protected next year, I think. So that was an an interesting finish. Did you have any just impressions or initial thoughts once you saw that final order come out on Thursday night? Well, once we got into the top four there, uh, two Eastern Conference and two Western Conference teams, and, and for many years I've been thinking about how for some reason, the Western Conference seems to get pretty lucky with snagging away some of the top talent in, in different drafts at a time when you know it might be beneficial to get a few more stars in the Eastern Conference. And once again here, Minnesota, Golden State going 1-2, Charlotte and Chicago locked into that 3-4 spot. So kind of the rich get richer in the Western Conference, no matter who Minnesota and Golden State kind of take from this, is going to become even more of a bloodbath than it's already been. So... Uh, let's start at the top here. Who is, you have a big board. I'm looking at it. You were kind enough to give it to me with all the links to your breakdowns, which I also super appreciated, by the way. Who is your, I know a lot of people have said that there's not a consensus number one pick, but it does feel like that we're sort of reaching that. And I believe that you're kind of there as well. So who is just your your number one guy? And just so the listeners know, I am just a, I'm a draft blank slate, even more so than usual this time of year. You'd think with the layoff, I'd have had more time to, to look at film and I, I probably did, but chose, but chose not to. So I guess shame on me, but that's why spins is here. So I'm a blank slate. I'm going into this mostly with minimal research and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And we're all just going to take your word as gospel. Well, I don't know if that's a smart thing to do. Nope, too late. Listeners signed a contract too. So you're off and running. 
Well, if we're talking about top overall pick, for me, it, it is going to come down to Anthony Edwards. Um, guy from Georgia who just physical profile is, is pretty obscene. 6'5", six, 6'9", six, wingspan, really fills it up as a scorer and has a ton of defensive potential. You know, he went through a phase in November in a game against Michigan State in the second half of the Maui Invitational where he absolutely took over and brought Georgia back from about 20 down to knocking on the door of, of winning that game. Now, they ended up losing, and, and Georgia didn't have a very successful year. So the knocks on Edwards have really centered around his ability to lead an offense and make smart decisions on a winning team, as well as you know, hone in on his defensive consistency. And he's shown a ton of flashes on both ends of the court, but the overall numbers don't jump out at you and scream efficiency, as well as that kind of lack of, of winning pedigree that he had at Georgia. But if you take a look just at the skill set that he has, the tools, the physical nature of his play, it's really hard to to look at any of the other guys in this draft, in my opinion, and say that they're going to have a higher upside or a more kind of likeliness of reaching that upside. And based on everything I've read on him, I would tend to agree. The fact that he shot under 30% on high three-point volume in college kind of does rub me the wrong way. I know he shot over 77% at the foul line, which tends to be a good harbinger but I think I've read a lot of criticism about his shot selection and for Minnesota specifically I actually like the fit with Culver is weird and now you're getting another offense first guy to go with Towns and and D'Angelo Russell and so I'm wondering if like he ends up being the best fit I think you're I I'm you know I'm obsessed with like kind of the the wing guard type players which he falls into so I would default to him at number one anyway and you go with who you think is the best player available I believe particularly in, in draft but I'm just wondering if he ends up being like a good fit for Minnesota and maybe you know they traded their pick last year do we see some and I'll ask you about this throughout for teams that maybe might consider trading their picks like do we see any discussions on this actual top selection where maybe they're trying to I don't know who they swing for the fences for but they have this year's pick that they'll have to move after the draft of course since they traded away uh, next year's pick as well but they have Jared Culver um they have that James Johnson contract as a good salary matcher assuming he picks up his player option which he will and so I'm wondering if they kind of look to just do something there because they feel like they're on this more immediate timeline than Anthony Edwards could provide and just what I know about him and what you even described about him I'd just be curious to see how he fits next to Russell and Towns and of course Cat being a wing in you know a seven footer's body probably absolutely helps all of this you know, the, the Timberwolves, if they're to, to take Edwards, which I absolutely think they should, and the two things stand out to me about that. One, whenever you get the first overall pick, you're going to you know cater around him a little bit. So I, I don't think Jarrett Culver factors into whether they should or should not pick, pick Edwards or somebody else. Um, you know, I know LaMelo Ball is going to be a name we hear about a ton in this, but regardless of that, you know, both Russell and Towns at the bookends at playing at the one and the five, great shooters, great guys that provide spacing. I think that that's prime for somebody who's going to be more of a mismatch option at the two. And that's something that Edwards really thrives on. He's physical, he's strong, he can work out of the pinch post and in those areas where we've seen some of the best wing scorers really thrive. Um, you know, a huge knock on Edwards, as you mentioned a little bit, the shooting efficiency. He was under 30% from three this year, as was LaMelo Ball. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm sorry. I just, I know it's coming. So I'm just, I'm giggling a little bit. Please carry on. For me, Edwards, you know, he didn't shoot the ball great this year, but you look at his AAU stats from before he got there, he was, I think, 45% from three. Whereas you take a look at LaMelo's combined statistics over the last three years of his play, and he's still far below 30%. He's about 26, 27% from three. So when we're talking about the sustainability and the longevity of the three-point shot, which at the guard spot is now the most important thing in the game. I mean, we're watching the, these bubble games. We're seeing what Damian Lillard is doing. I don't know many championship caliber teams over the last decade who have made it all the way to the promised land while having their lead guard not be able to shoot the three ball, especially off the bounce. It's huge and it's crucial. And I think if the Wolves get D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, two guys who can do this, along with the floor spacing provided by Cat, like it almost doesn't matter what they look like defensively because mm -hmm. they're gonna be such a nightmare on offense. 
And do you think that Edwards has just a higher ceiling defensively than what we saw from him in college, just given the physical tools? No doubt. No doubt about that. And, and, you know, the NBA is a long grind of a season. It usually takes players multiple years to get there. But, I mean, we're also talking about a guy who's so gifted athletically that even if he's performing at 60 to 70 percent of his defensive capabilities, that's going to be above average for where somebody who's less athletic and talented might provide, even if they're, you know, trying their hardest. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim to be organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering Hardwood Knox listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. You've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now. theragun.com slash bluewire. T-E-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash blue wire. Number two, the Golden State Warriors. And so I promise this will not be the question both to you and our listeners for every team, but this is a pick that you probably see them keeping, right? Because I think the whole, it, I don't even think it's a theory. It was just this pipe dream that they could use this and then the, the Timberwolves pick and then Wiggins' salary fodder to go in there and get Giannis. Like that's just, even if the Bucks flame out, in the playoffs this year, which I don't expect them to, it's just not happening. Like we've already talked about it. And even if let's say Giannis does want to leave Milwaukee, I think he's in a position where his is the first supermax that figures to age really well. And so just sign it. And if you want to leave, figure out a way to force a trade later. And so knowing that my guess would be that they end up keeping the pick. And maybe that's just like a lack of me being able to foresee like players available. That'd be worth moving this pick for. I don't know, you know, people have cited that maybe some weird things are going on between Oladipo and Indiana. And I just don't know if, you know, this pick and the Timberwolves pick plus Wiggins, and then you need other filler for Victor Oladipo and a Miles Turner. Like, I don't even know if that's a starting point for uh, Indiana. I don't know whether that's too much to give up from Golden State with Oladipo heading towards free agency, but that almost feels like the ceiling on a deal. You could also look at Bradley Beal. And I know there's the sentiment of just go out and get a superstar. You'll figure out the rest later. But even if you could, if you trade Wiggins in this pick for Bradley Beal, like I, your defense is just not that Wiggins is a good defender, but to have Beal now after the defense he played this year, I know he's a better defender than that. And perhaps on a better team, he tries harder. I just don't know if that ends up working out for the Warriors going after Drew Holiday or an Aaron Gordon. Those aren't players that I would give up the number one pick for. Um, I love Drew Holiday, but he's also headed towards free agency in 2021 if he declines his player option. And so I'm wondering if you share those sentiments with me where you, where you first off expect them to keep this pick. I'm, I'm really torn on what they should do with the pick. Um, you know, a large part of me knows and understands that trying to lean into winning now and extending the title window as it's open with clay and with Steph and Draymond there is the right thing to do. But we speak about trading out of pick spots as if it's such an easy thing to do, especially when you have large salaries like Andrew Wiggins potentially involved. It's really difficult to construct the trade that's going to work well for that. And part of the issue is you have to find somebody who wants to trade up into where Golden State is. And right now, this is a draft with, you know, the media narrative is, is driving really three guys atop this draft Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, and James Wiseman of Memphis. And, you know, Golden State has one of the top three picks to for, you know, conceivably land one of those three guys. But you have to find the right trade partner who's not only infatuated enough 
to trade into getting one of those three and leapfrogging the competition, but has the right win now asset for Golden State. So for me, it's less about should they do it as much as it is, is there anyone out there that it makes sense for them to work with that would allow them to do it sensibly? And I, I think there might be teams, there's always going to be teams that would be willing to take the number two pick off someone's hands, but if Aaron Gordon or Drew Holiday is the ceiling on your return, right. that's something you really consider using with this pick. I don't think that I would. Yeah, I, I, it's it's tough to justify, especially, you know, it's going to depend on how the, the Warriors value really the top two guys on their board when it comes down to it. I mean, whether that's Edwards, Ball, Wiseman, whoever it is. Uh, I think Wiseman would be a, a great fit long term there, but I also think he's got a lot to figure out in the interim with shot selection and and stretching his range reliably to, to the three point line. Um, you know, he probably keeps their window open the longest and might be the one guy who can carry, you know, Steph and Clay as their careers wind down. But immediate impact wise, I don't know if he helps them get closer to a title next year and. And that's the the catch twenty two of all this. They have to figure out a way to balance both. Would you pick? Would Wiseman be your pick? I know he's number two on your big board, but what would Wiseman be your pick with the Warriors on the clock if you're them? Or do you look at the one that I became infatuated with after reading you and other people was? Uh, and I don't know if this is too high for him, but Devin Vassell from yeah, Florida State. I'd you know I think I'd lean towards Wiseman there, but uh, so for those of you listening at home, you know James Wiseman number two on my board. Devin Vassell is number three, and Vassell. one of the reasons I love him, he's the best team defender that I've ever seen in the college game. Now he's a, a really strong three and D prospect. He doesn't have that elite upside to carry a team on offense, but he is an elite three and D prospect, and those guys. They don't grow on trees, and they fit perfectly within what Golden State is doing. So I don't know if you can justify taking him with the number two pick over guys who have such high upside, uh, especially if you know there's a possibility Anthony Edwards is available at two. But right. with all that said, um, I, I love the fit of, of, of uh, Devin Vessel there. The number three pick belongs to the Charlotte Hornets. I would say they are locks to keep this pick. Is there, um, you know, so one, who you have, you already mentioned that you had Vassell was third on your big board. So mm-hmm. would you pick him? If, if we're assuming Edwards and Wiseman go one, two, would, if you're the uh, Hornets, are you taking Vassell that high? Or do you have to look at some of the other players that are, that are available at this point still where, uh, maybe this is a good point to get into uh, get into your thoughts on Lamella Ball, who you seem to be much lower on than than the consensus. Because if you look at mock drafts right now, immediately after the lottery, they have Edwards going to Minnesota, Wiseman going to Golden State, and then Lamella Ball going to Charlotte. And, and I think that's probably how it ends up, just based on consensus. And you know, there's an opportunity. And the way I view the draft is essentially you swing for the fences more when you have one of those top picks because you need to land a franchise game changer. And LaMelo Ball, there's no doubt he has the potential to be that, but I'm not sold on the shooting or the defensive impact. I think those are two areas where he really falls behind in a lot of ways. Charlotte's probably the right franchise to, to take that, that risk and go after either of those th- any of those three guys, Edwards, Wiseman, or Ball, who would follow them at the third pick. They probably have to take whoever it is there because they're just their franchise-changing upside is so high. Uh, the other name that I'd consider here is Obi Toppin from Dayton. And a lot of this comes more so just from knowing Michael Jordan's tendencies a little bit. Like he'll never tank. He wants to field the most competitive team immediately. Uh, Toppin, you know, one of the national players of the year in the college game this season, has that inside-outside front-court scoring ability and is a, a freak athlete in transition. So um, I would not be shocked if Toppin found his way into the top three here as a result of that. But you know, it's it's going to be hard to pass up on Edwards, Wiseman, or Ball, whoever's available for Charlotte. Now, what you uh, you have, Lamelo Ball is number twelve on I your do. big board, which I would say is decidedly lower than I've seen him anywhere else. And so, what are your concerns with him? Yeah, so think about what goes into being successful in the modern NBA game. If you're going to play with the ball in your hands predominantly, you need to be able to score off the bounce and create shots for yourself. You need to be able to shoot from three off the dribble so the teams can't go under 
pick and rolls against you and just completely handcuff the way that you're defended. Because if a defense can go underneath a ball screen, what it essentially takes away is that ball handler's ability from getting into the lane because the defender's not concerned about coming out and guarding them on the perimeter. They're going to stay lane protected the entire time. And if you're a fantastic you know, passer, you rely wholly on the defense coming out and guarding you so that you can get into the lane, draw help defenders, and then kick to open teammates. So as amazing of a passer LaMelo Ball has the potential to be, it's somewhat limited and, and handcuffed by the fact that he doesn't shoot it and score it from the perimeter effectively enough to really draw defenses out to him. Um, you know, maybe it's just my coaching background and how much of a, a stickler I am on some of the details on the defensive side, but he's one of the worst and, and you know least consistent defenders on a daily basis, possession by possession basis that I've seen. And those things really detract me from him. Um, you know, again, you know that if the shot does work and if he does end up being somebody who reliably and efficiently creates his own shot, and we've got a an all-star caliber player on our hands, but I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan of what I've seen so far enough to get me to buy in that that's going to happen. But you think that that's still a possibility as his ceiling, given his offensive tools overall? Yeah, it, it is. And and you know the, the way I view prospects here is you have to look at their floor, their ceiling, and the kind of middle. Uh, outcome that would happen as a result of that, and then weigh them each based on the probability that the player hits that ceiling. So for LaMelo, like his ceiling is on par with anybody else in this draft as being one of the top ones there. I just think there's a lower percent chance that he hits that ceiling as opposed to a guy like Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. Now that said, I also think that, you know, kind of the the most likely outcome for LaMelo is lower than the most likely outcome for 11 other guys in this draft. Even though LaMelo's ceiling is higher, there's just such a wide variance between where he's going to you know, projectably kind of be with his skill level. So you, if we still expect him, if, if he were to go to three at Hornets, the Bulls are then on the clock at four. Do you see anyone from, you know, whether it's your gut feeling with who they would take or who just looking at your big board, which I like, diverges so much from the consensus at least to me from what i see who would you have them take in this situation assuming it's, the three players you just discussed obviously are already off the, off the yeah board. yeah and i think you have to i think that clear top three is probably in some order going to go one two three uh i really like denny avia the from maccabi tel aviv of a six nine six ten swing forward and every time i watch him like i can't help but think of tony kukoc just you know, seeing that type of player in a Bulls uniform again, I, maybe I'm biased from that. Uh, but there's something about his mismatch inside-outside ability that he's not going to be your you know 20 point, 25 point per game scorer, but he can go out there and get you 16, 7, and 5. And with the Chicago Bulls team, the way that it's constructed right now, with you know Zach Levine being their scoring punch in the backcourt and they really need a little bit more versatility on the wings at that three slash four spot. I think Opie is is really an awesome pick for Chicago. I'm actually surprised that so many. And again, there's the element of if you want to take the best player available, and someone else, you know, if it's a Killian Hayes, and you believe that that's the best player available, I get it. But I'm surprised at how many mock drafts have them taking like some variation of a guard or a big or just not a wing, which it seems like they need the most. Yeah, and, and I'm not a guy who tries to draft, in at least in the lottery, based on fit. It, I think it's True. predominantly going to be best player available just because the guys who are that good come along so rarely and are, are difficult to procure. Um, you know, Names that are commonly going to be thrown out in this next tier of guys, you, know, you mentioned my draft board really varies from consensus quite a bit, and I'm not shy about ranking guys that I, I really like much higher than consensus would have them or guys that I don't like much lower. Um, and two guys who I'm just not really high on right now, Tyrese Halliburton and Isaac Okora, both of them get mentioned as potential top 10 or even top five picks. Uh, Halliburton more so as a, like a playmaking really high IQ, uh, you know, decent catch and shoot threat that people see as this versatile, you know, really unique playmaker out of that two uh, spot in the, in the backcourt. And then Isaac Okora, just this fierce, ferocious, athletic, defensive-minded wing who uh, might be the best athlete in this draft. So 
you know, those two guys come up really frequently in the lottery. And I wouldn't be shocked if consensus is right. If, if the bulls are targeting those two names in that range, I think they make sense as fits in Chicago. But if we're talking best player available, I don't have either of them in my top 20, which is a pretty sharp uh, deviation from the, the consensus. Let's get into that. You have Halliburton at 22 on your big board and Okoro at 23. So what is it, what do you see in them that has you putting them just solo based on, you know, I guess pure talent or pure ceiling, however you're basing this off of? I guess we'll start with Halliburton because there's a natural segue. A lot of the complaints that I have about him being ranked as this top 10 guy really center on the same things as, as my LaMelo ball questions do. Um, you know, first with Halliburton, like he is not going to be a one-on-one scorer. His free throw rate and, and his ability to draw contact and get to the line is probably the lowest in this draft class for any guard or predominant ball handler out there. He's not someone who creates his own shot and he's not someone who draws contact enough to kind of get to the free throw line. So he's not to me, somebody that I project being the type of player who has the ball in his hands, which again, kind of handcuffs the great passing ability that a guy like him possesses. The other part of it that's so strange to me, he's an effective catch and shoot three point threat but he has this weird, slow release on his shot. And normally I'm not the guy who goes out there and tries to you know, critique or, or say that you know, the form on somebody's shot is really important because if it goes in, it goes in. That's what matters. Uh, but Halliburton's release is very slow, and he gets almost bow-legged and brings his feet together when he rises. So in the NBA, when there's a lot more length on the perimeter and guys guarding him who can – you know from an athletic standpoint, go from help defense to guarding him on the perimeter, he's going to have less time to rise for shots. And what that means is he's really slow with his first step to create separation and get in the lane. So as a playmaker and a great passer, not great at creating his own shot, which is going to change the way he's defended off the bounce, and not great and quick enough at attacking poor closeouts to get in the lane and make those high IQ decisions in there. So I'm not sure where his his playmaking and passing ability really comes from at the next mm-hmm. level. Uh, beyond that, he's a really poor defender at the point of attack. Just dies on screens, not really the quickest laterally, uh, still has to work on his frame a lot. But um, again, a pretty solid like sixth man unique role player type of guy, but not someone that I see you know reliably playing an offense through. And if you're a backcourt guy who's not going to be an elite catch-and-shoot threat, I don't think that I'd spend a lottery pick on somebody who's not going to either give the keys to or just knock down every shot he gets. The Another guy, before I ask you about the, the number five Cavaliers that you seem to be lower on than the consensus is, yep. I've seen him go mostly in the top seven throughout the mocks, um, is Ongika Okungu. What is, yep. it, what is it about him that you just don't see as a, you know, you have him on your big board, I think well outside the top 10. Yeah. He's number 13. And I think he's been probably consensus just on mock drafts around top seven. Yeah. So Okongwu is the second rated post on my kind of big board here. And the reason he falls towards the tail end of the lottery in my mind speaks more to the positional, um, you know, overload of, of bigs right now, that they're almost dime a dozen. You can get a lot of big guys who make an immediate or kind of a, a replacement level impact uh, without having to spend a lottery pick on them. So, you know, it has less to do with Okongwu not being a very good prospect as it does him just being at the wrong position. Now, he's more of a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Like he's a strong, solid defender. He has some pick and pop upside. He's a consistent finisher around the basket. And that well-rounded nature makes him a very safe type of pick. But uh, again, in the lottery, I think a lot of these teams are hoping to swing for somebody who's going to be on the floor for their franchise in crunch time. And I don't know if a Kongwu is quite switchable enough or dominant enough as, as a stretch five to really be the type of post player that's just outside the mold that I would say, yeah, if we draft him, we're getting a guy who we know is going to be on the floor in crunch time that no other big that we can really find is going to give us. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. 
With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, with Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. If you're like me, you can also actively avoid your favorite teams and favorite players if they happen to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. And visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. So you're Cleveland, and you're on the board at number five. Who are you taking? Geez, if, uh, if Avi is off the board... Um, you know, I think Devin they Vassell. Could, I feel like they need him probably even more so than Chicago does. Their wing yep. situation is not pretty. Yeah, they do. And and if they don't, then I think Devin Vassell is the pick there. You know, they have two guys in their backcourt who are going to, you know, conceivably carry this team into the future. Both be pick and roll types of creators, and they have, you know, that dilemma of what do they do with Drummond and Tristan Thompson all coming up, but the safest way to kind of navigate through all this is find somebody that fits with every single piece and still has a ton of upside left to grow. I think Vassell is that guy just because of his, his dominant level of defense. I think Avia would be that guy if available there because he just brings something really unique to the table. Uh, and then one other name that I'll kind of throw out there and, and mentioned a little bit earlier is Obi Toppin. You know, I, I think Kevin Love, even though he's, he's inked this decently long deal, with Cleveland, there's only so much more that they can squeeze out of that lemon. Uh, that mm-hmm. the juice is drying up out of Kevin Love a little bit, and you know Ob Toppin, if they're comfortable with kind of the offensive upside that he brings there, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, if again, he finds his way up to the fifth pick. the The Hawks are at number six. Yeah. They're in an interesting spot. I think most mocks have them taking a big, but based off what you said about Okoro before. I could almost see them taking him in this spot. He makes a lot of sense here just based on what they're looking for and what they need. But um, again, if we're talking best player available, you know, the only thing that the only box that that player needs to check is he's going to be able to play alongside Trey Young. And that's it. And that's where maybe two of my other top six or seven guys on the big board, you know, Kyra Lewis from Alabama and Killian Hayes from Germany. I don't, I don't know if those two guys are great fits along Trey Young, mm-hmm. but if I had to go with one, I'd definitely go with Killian Hayes just because of his size. He's six five, six eight wingspan. The shooting is the question mark with him, and you, the last thing you want to do is take away gravity and and spacing from Trey Young from really allowing him to to lean into the the greatness of you know the offensive production that he can have. So. You know, there's a lot of different players in that wing spot that are available. And we're talking about trade up partners. Like if there's a way that they can swing, end up getting Wiseman, I'd love to see him there. I think he'd be a, an unbelievable fit. But um, after they I, traded for Clint Capella and Dwayne Dedman. Yeah, e- even afterwards. Again, it, it's more so just the, the top type of player available. Like you, you are forced to kind of build around them when you get the opportunity to add them. So. I think there's a lot of different ways they can go with this pick. Again, I'm not huge on Okoro, but the fit there would make sense. Obvio would be awesome if he ended up there. And then guys like Vassell or Killian Hayes uh, are definitely workable. Now, I'm seeing that you're also, Kyra Lewis is fourth on your big board. And I've yet to see him in a mock draft taken higher than 18. So tell me about, I I now all of a sudden need to know more about Kyra Lewis. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't want to say irrationally high because that makes it seem like I'm. Uh, it's an indefensible position, but I absolutely love Kyra Lewis. Um, he is so fast. He's one of the fastest players. He reminds me a lot of De'Aaron Fox in a lot of ways, and, and especially the De'Aaron Fox that we see now, who has that three-point shooting range. Um, when I'm evaluating point guards, the first box that I'm checking is kind of that shooting ability. Are they able to knock down three-pointers off the bounce and force people to come out and guard them? And with Lewis, the answer is absolutely yes. He's a a, a really strong three-point shooter off the bounce. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was well above 35% and off the dribble threes from the pick and roll. And what that does is that unlocks the the rest of the lane for him to really get into and create for others. So with his speed, his quickness, his ability to play at his own pace in transition – now, I have a really hard time thinking that he just he doesn't fit alongside a lot of the great you know scorers in, in this league. Um, he can play on ball. 
He's a solid catch and shoot threat. Great pick and roll player. You know, needs to add more strength. Not the most consistent defensively, but really well rounded on offense in a way that I just every time I watch him play and go back and dive into the film, I see some kind of superstar potential there. Now, like, why do you think he's? Why are you so high on him, or like compared to, or why are most mocks taking him, having him so far outside the lottery? I'll put it. Is it because he doesn't project? Like it's it's hard to project him defensively. It doesn't look like he's only has a six five wingspan, which is not long at all. And so I'm just curious, you know, like that might be the actual biggest um, discrepancy in terms of players you're higher on than than the consensus. And so I'm wondering what the what the majority of people might be focusing on that either you're overlooking or don't think is going to be that as big of a problem. Sure, I think a lot of it probably centers on the defensive impact. You know, he's not necessarily switchable. He's a little bit thin um, based on the you know the speed that he plays at. He just hasn't added a ton of muscle yet. He's not a great vertical athlete, and a lot of times, you know, we we look for guys who have those highlight plays or that ability to really finish in traffic in an eye popping way. I don't think Lewis is a poor finisher, uh, but at the same token, he doesn't pop off the screen at you as somebody who's going to be elite at the next level. So there's probably some question marks that go into how consistently he'll finish amongst you know, greater athletes and, and larger defenders. But the, the, probably the biggest thing comes around to his mid-range scoring. You know, he's, he's not a great pull-up shooter in the mid-range. He relies on floaters a little bit more than true pull-up jumpers. And when you're evaluating you know, lead guards, a lot of times hitting that pull-up shot in the mid-range, like for everybody who's watched the the Celtics Sixers series right now, Kemba Walker making those pull-up jumpers time after time after time has really changed the complexion of Boston's offense because mid-range Jays are what NBA defenses really give you. So the, the knock on Lewis is that he hasn't proven consistent at hitting them from the mid-range and that he, you know, he almost plays too fast for himself to enable that shot to really occur and get his feet underneath him. Those are teachable things to me, and those are things with repetition I think he'll be able to handle. And, and the, the value in a guy like him is he can play off ball. He's a strong catch and shoot type of threat. So I don't see him as being somebody that is going to flounder when he gets in the league just because he hasn't nailed that shot down yet. The Pistons at number seven, it's, um, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here on this one. It seems like, well, I know for a fact, a lot of these teams and it's the biggest or the hottest commodity in the NBA right now want wings. And it seems like this is a fairly wing depleted draft. So which direction you know, could you see the Pistons going at, at number seven relative again to who you think might be available? I think the Pistons, you know, more than anything positionally, they just need somebody who's going to go out there and create a shot for himself and go get a bucket on the perimeter. That's something that they lack. And to be honest, they haven't really had in a long time. I know Reggie Jackson had like 20 games of it when he first got traded there before his entire body blew up. But um, Killian Hayes just makes perfect sense for Detroit. And it's one of those names when you're going through these mock drafts, sometimes you see a perfect fit and you think of ways in your head how to make it work so that that player doesn't get selected before they're on the clock. I think Detroit kind of gets lucky with the types of teams that are leapfrogging over them, that they're not going to be reaching too high for, for point guards. Um, you know, Hayes actually makes appearances on a few experts dr- draft boards as number one uh, because he's just got that self-creation to his game you know his his shooting is coming along his his three-point stroke is improving but i looked really, at his three points splits before we were doing this for yeah. the i think it's two or three years he spent overseas like where he was playing and they're just absolutely like wild yeah he's he's all over the place a little bit with his shot and and again it's improving i think it's gaining consistency to the point where it's not a huge worry of mine but out of the guards in this class outside of you know lamello and anthony he gives you the best combination of you know self-creation and, and scoring ability with really high IQ passing. Like this guy, I think he's a little bit underrated with how great of a passer he is and, and has a lot of polish to his game for an 18-year-old. Number eight is the Knicks. And so I almost gut feeling, feel like they're not going to have this pick and that it's just going to end up in Oklahoma City. That's, that's, that's my gut feeling. But based on stuff I was reading from you over the past two days, the three players I zeroed in on for them, and I'm not sure that they would have the guts to pick them, was Kyra Lewis stood out to me based off what you wrote about him. And then also Devin Vassell, who I now know how to pronounce his name, apparently. And then um, Sadiq Bey, who you talked me into like months ago as a, as a clear top 10 prospect. And so do you think they would have the guts 
to pick those guys in spots that seem like they might be a little bit higher um, than normal, or would you see them going a different direction here at number eight? Damn, we're talking New York City, baby. We got the lights. We got the glam in the garden. We got to swing for the fences here. Like They have to take a guy who's going to be seen as a a load lifter on offense. And I love Vassell. I love Sadiq Bay, But they're more role players at their best, and they need to be around really good players in order to reach their potential. I don't know if the Knicks have the infrastructure. In they the do path. not. We can move on. That <laughs> <laughs> happened. So for me, like I think Obi Toppin, if he falls to them, uh, you know, all the way down there to to pick number eight, would be an unbelievable get for the New York Knicks because of that inside outside offensive ability. You know, they've thrown you know fifty million dollars a year and eight different players to play the four and the five spots for them, and none of them have really worked. Uh, I think Toppin probably stabilizes their front court rotation. And the pick-and-pop ability is real. And that's the type of partner that they need to put next to R.J. Barrett and even Mitchell Robinson if either of those guys are long-term going to be part of the core. Right. I'd, I'd love to see you know, if Killian Hayes is still available at eight. He's a, a pick definitely worth considering. And, and Kyra Lewis, you know, again, I'm much higher on him than most. I don't expect him to be a name that's thrown around in this category. Uh, but uh, – Again, if the Knicks talk themselves into falling in love with him, I think that he's the type of guy that just brings so much buzz and excitement to the garden that uh, kind of hard to pass up on him as well. If they're looking at it through the lens of, and I know this isn't necessarily the way they draft, but that they want to keep Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, who as of right now you would just call two non-shooters, is it better to go with the, you know, does Obi Toppin, is, you know, he shot 43 of 103 on three-pointers during his two years at Dayton, so 41.7%, but again, that's not a ton of volume. Is he the better pick, or can Killian Hayes play alongside both those guys a little bit better? The Hayes and Barrett fit is a little bit tricky. Um, you know, I think it's really going to depend on the rest of the positions that they would fill out like Hayes Barrett and Mitchell Robinson's not a great spacing unit, but you need two kind of elite shooters to, to fill out the the three and the four next to those guys. So I think Toppin's probably the better fit long-term. Um, but he's also, you know, playing with Mitchell Robinson masks Toppin's biggest deficiency, which is just his overall closeouts and, and defensive ability. Like for someone who's a freak athlete, he does not move well laterally. And, having Mitchell Robinson stand behind you and just sweep up everything at the rim really would be best case scenario for Toppin. So if I'm the Knicks and he's available at eight, I'd go with him. Also his hometown is O'Signing, New York. Or yeah. yeah New York, so, yeah. Uh, bring him home. Apparently <laughs> number, number nine we're up to is the Washington wizards of they're a bizarre team here, but Oh, I forgot to ask you with the Knicks. Do you think that they're actually making or keeping this pick? I think they're keeping this pick. I, you know, all indications to me seem like they they know at this point that they have to build long term and for the future. You know, they just hired uh, Johnny Bryant, who's a great player development coach, and they're leaning into making those types of hires right now. To me, that signals a team that's willing to you know go a little bit younger and invest in the future. That was the. And that's why I feel like by draft day, whenever it actually happens, since it looks like it'll be pushed back, I'll walk off my sentiment of feeling that they're going to get rid of this pick. I think I'm just over-emotional after they um, had another failed lottery. They just haven't moved up in the lottery since the rigged one, since 1985, basically. Or supposedly rigged one. I don't actually think it was rigged. Um, so I feel like I'll move off that because that was the hire, um, the Johnny Bryan hire. That's the one that made me think like, oh, maybe this isn't going to be like another typical Knicks thing and I think we need to see them go through free agency first to to kind of prove that they could either have cap space or maybe they won't depending on what they do with all those non-guarantees and Bobby Portis's team option and then there's always the trade market so it's more of like a I need to see it to believe it but that was the hire that made me think oh maybe they're really gonna invest in player development under Leon Rose yeah yeah I, th I think they will and and you know Leon Rose uh actually a, a Dickinson alum school that I coach at right now so um, you know, wish him nothing but the best through this journey. And, uh, it, you know, they're in a spot right now as a more rebuilding type of franchise that you know, I don't think there's a wrong pick that they can make so long as they can justify the fact that it's going to be a player who continues to get better over the next four years. Like, that's all that they need. They need talented dudes in the building who continue to improve. Washington at number nine. Anyone 
stand out for you there. And I think it's probably, again, you're maybe you're not drafting based on this anyway, but I, I think it's probably safe to operate under the assumption that unless they get absolutely blown away by an offer for Beal, and the only two teams that I think can make one now are really Golden State and Minnesota. I guess the Pelicans still, if they really wanted to. But if we're operating under the assumption that Beal is going to be there in Washington to see how it goes with John Wall's return, what kind of direction do you see them going in here? You know, with the sake, I don't want to just throw out the same names as we've been talking over and over and say, well, if this guy's still here, like a lot of the names that we've we've mentioned, if they end up falling down to number nine or great picks, I think Onyeka Okongwu actually makes sense here in Washington, another great fit, as well as one of the best players available on the board. Uh, they need a little bit of rim protection, as we've seen this year. Their defense is amongst the worst things I've ever watched in my life. Um, and that's <laughs> that's generous, Dan. Uh, I think Okongwu gives them a little bit of stabilization on the inside. Um, you know, They need somebody who long-term can be a pick-and-pop type of threat, but immediately can come in and just play a, a few minutes right away. I, I think this is a team that has immediate playoff aspirations. And with that in mind... I have a tough time envisioning them being the type of team that's going to just take a long-term project or somebody that they don't see making any type of impact right away. So, you know, a couple names all thrown out there that haven't been brought up thus far. Jalen Smith from Maryland. I've been high on him throughout this whole process. And even since the preseason had him as a top 10 guy on my draft board recently, I know Jonathan Wasserman today came out and um, was basically saying that Smith's name is, is really rising on a, a bunch of draft boards and, and intel that he's hearing from other folks. Wouldn't be shocked to see him go there because he has all of the makings of a modern big once his body kind of fills out. The other name is Alexei Pokashevsky, um, seven foot, like really unique unicorn type of player. He is the ultimate swing for the fences guy. And once you kind of clear the top seven or eight and a lot of those names who consensus sees it as being like really good high level a and b tier guys there's no reason not to to swing for the fences on pokashevsky so any team really that doesn't like the crop of players available to make an immediate impact go ahead and swing for poker the the suns are at number 10 and so they still even after what happened in the bubble you you clearly need, even if you're going to keep Dario Sarge and bring him off the bench, which certainly helped with their shot creation, it feels like they need another one. But it also feels like for the point that they're at, that I could see them going for maybe someone they view as like more of an immediate impact wing. And so I'm wondering, are there any shot creators that would um, fit well that you could see maybe falling this far that you've already mentioned? Or might this be one of those good landing spots for the um, Vassells or the Sadiq Bay? This would be an awesome landing spot for Kyra Lewis, to be honest. And okay. uh, you know, being number four on my board, I, I put him there based on where I think he his career will look back on him kindly, not as where I expect him to be drafted. And I think 10 is probably a reasonable ceiling for uh, where he'll end up going on draft night. I think he'd be the perfect fit in Phoenix. Uh, you know, they need somebody who's not going to be a defensive liability at the one. They need maybe one more guy who can create his own shot as well as get easy ones for Booker. And, you know, I wouldn't mind if they added another wing there just to be able to move Booker to almost the full-time one in those late-game scenarios when Rubio has to sit on the bench. So, you know, you hit the nail on the head with a guy like Vassell. I, I think, um, you know, I think Lewis would be awesome there. But I don't know how much I love, you know, one of the more defensive liability guys on the perimeter, uh, maybe like a Tyrese Halliburton, you know, even if he's available there, I just, I don't think defensively he and Booker make a great backcourt combo. Two players I want to ask you about before we get to the final four picks of the lottery yeah. that I, I feel like they've in the big boards that I've read. And then the mock drafts, obviously they seem to be all over the place. The first one would be Cole Anthony, just did not have a good season at North Carolina. And so what are your, impressions of him do you think that he's going to fall outside the lottery ultimately yeah i think he probably does slide a little bit um there are he's a really polarizing prospect dan so where i land on him is almost more in the middle of where most people do which is atypical for how i view prospect evaluations like i'm usually either really really high above normal or really low but uh, for anthony like he is a score first guard and is great with step backs, creating his own shot, but needs the ball in his hands. 
And in North Carolina, the spacing around him completely fell apart, and their team was abysmal. They just weren't the right mesh of players to support him and what he does best. Now, any NBA team that drafts him, that's where the, the catch-22 comes in because is he good enough to mandate that role in the NBA? I don't know if the answer is clearly yes. Coming into the season, a lot of people thought that, but then when you see the struggles that he underwent in North Carolina, it gives good reason for pause. You know, For me, I think Anthony has a great role being like a, a almost a backup point guard who plays off the bench and then might come in for the final six or eight minutes of the game. You know, plays 24 to 28 minutes a night, averages 13, 14 points and a few assists, and is just allowed to be him. Like, he needs to go to a situation that allows him to be him. And it depends on whether, you know, if a team who's on the clock sees him as the best type of player available and has those, um, you know, the, the tools available to let him be him or if there's someone else that's just a little more tantalizing on the board. So he's he'll be hurt a little bit if there are a lot of guys that slide a little bit in this draft. Is there a team that you think would be just a good, if he's going to optimize his NBA potential, that would just be a good fit? I don't care if they could be at the end of the first round for all I care, but is there a team that you think he would just be the perfect project for? Um, I think Orlando would be smart to take a, a risk on somebody like him. I think they need a little bit of offensive punch. I think he can play with Markel Fultz. And, you know, at the end of the day, like a Steve Clifford team is going to be incredibly competitive and he's someone who gets the most out of his guys. I think that would be a pretty strong situation for him to, to roll into. This, this next guy, so RJ Hampton, I feel like I heard so much buzz about him leading into the, the season. And again, he was in New Zealand, obviously, and just like beforehand, though. But it feels like the hype has almost subsided. You do have him an 11th on your big board. We haven't mentioned him yet, but it's like he's still right there in the in the top 10 is there like what happened here? Why did the, why did the hype subside? Was he just always overhyped? And then the same question I would throw to you that I um, did about uh, Cole Anthony. Is there, is there a team that ideally where that could optimize him and, and what he could do that, that you would prefer to see him fall to again, just looking at it as where could he have the best beginning to his career or his career overall? Sure. So RJ Hampton, you know, came out of high school as a, a prolific scorer and just an unbelievable athlete. Um, about six five with a, a six seven or six eight wingspan, really really solid defender. But when he got to New Zealand, you know, very polar opposite of the type of season that Lamelo Ball had. And I wrote an article on this, kind of comparing the two after going through and watching a ton of NBL games this year. You know, RJ Hampton played on a really competitive playoff and championship driven team with the New Zealand Breakers. And part of his role there, playing with you know former NBA guys and, and a bunch of talent was to assimilate a little bit and not be a lead guard, play more of like a 3 and D wing. Now, his three-point shot's not great. So when you put somebody in a 3 and D role and they're not a great three-point shooter, all you see is the D. And, you know, he doesn't impress or pop off the page for a lot of those reasons. Now, LaMelo was the exact opposite. He was given the keys to a horrible team in the league Mm -hmm. and just asked to kind of be their savior, and they allowed him to do anything and everything he wanted. So, of course, LaMelo's numbers and the production and all those things are going to look a lot better than somebody like Hampton. Um, I'm high on Hampton because I, I believe that his, his work ethic is strong. I've heard a lot of great intel about how he's worked on his jumper and really been dedicated to the, the process this summer. And, uh, you know, a lot of times those guys whose names kind of disappear and, and you don't see a lot about them, like they're quietly the ones that are putting in the work to beat everybody who are soaking up the spotlight. Uh, two places I'd love to see him are both in his home state of Texas. One is with the Dallas Mavericks. I think he'd be an unbelievable fit next to Luka Doncic because he can take those prime defensive assignments, can also create his own shot. And if that three-point jumper really does come along, he's going to be uh, a steal for them in the in the early 20s. The other name is San Antonio. And the huge reason for that, nobody makes consistent shooters more than the San Antonio Spurs. So if they can fix his jump shot, they're going to have a litany of those like Swiss army knife, six, five long armed guards and wings to really work with. That would make them a a fascinating team. That's funny uh, that you say that because for so long, it's felt like they've lacked that exact type of player. And now all of a sudden they have it. I won't say it in droves because you know, we don't know what Lonnie Walker is going to be ditto for Kelton Johnson. But if you add 
you know, would you, if you're them, would you consider taking um, Hampton at number 11? And so if you, then if you add him to the mix, it's like, now they do have all, now all of a sudden they have these guys. And even DeJounte Murray's just, he's sized more like a wing than he actually is a, a point guard. Right. And, and that's almost the wave of the future now. Dan, is if you can get like three or four guys that are six, five to six, seven with long wingspans, all of them are capable to doing things off the bounce. Like you can play so many different styles of play as a result. Um, you know, 11, it's always going to depend on what happens above them. Like guys like Devin Vassell or, you know, even Onyeka Okongwu, just those really solid all around guys typically seem to be appealing to the Spurs and their brass. I don't see them being the type of front office that likes to take these really, really high risk type of players. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, another name we haven't mentioned in international guard, Theo Maladon from France. I really like him and his shot making ability. So, um, you know, he's another name I think gets mentioned more in like the twenties than anything else. But we know the Spurs; they they march to their own beat. They don't care much about what the consensus is. If they see a player that they really like, they're going to take him, and they don't think twice. And they're not usually wrong. So um, I'm not going to pretend to be the expert that could tell them what to do. I'm just going to wait until draft night and see whoever they pick eleventh and say, "Great pick." <laughs> All right. So let's say um, Okungwu and uh, RJ Hampton are both on the board at 11. Which one are they taking? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. If it's me, it's Hampton. If it's them, it's probably a Kongwu. I feel like that sounds about right based off what you said about the two yeah. of them. The Kings at number 12, I'm not really sure what they target in this draft because they have like a lot of everything kind of, but like none of it's good enough except for De'Aaron Fox. Uh, and then we don't know enough about Marvin Bagley, obviously. Mm-hmm. Where would you, you know, Based on players that you think could kind of fall to this range, what, what names are you looking at or what needs are, are you looking to fill here? I think two things stand out to me. One is the need for another kind of power wing. Like you look at the way that their roster is kind of shaped right now and you see Harrison Barnes is, is reaching his, his peak and starting the downward trend of his career. You look at the Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich situation and, and wonder if both are going to be able to stick around long term. I think they need another, you know, solution at that two or three spot. So, you know, Vassell, Sadiq Bay, Isaac Okoro are all different types of names that positionally I think that they'd love to have. And then the out of left field one here, if they're willing to be patient and not try to add a player that they think is going to instantly make them leapfrog the litany of teams that are in the Western Conference right now, then I think Pokashevsky would be really intriguing there. Because long term, you add him and Marvin Bagley, like that is just the weirdest, most creative <laughs> and cool front court that I could ever think of. Uh, we'll see if that, you know, we don't really know who the decision maker long term is going to be in Sacramento and how risky Joe Dumars, if he's making the draft pick, is going to be enabled to be. So I don't see them being that swing for the fences team. Like they're going to have to play it conservatively if they don't have their full time decision maker in play by then. So. Um, I think Okoro and Sadiq Bey are, are kind of guys that, that would make sense rationally. How does a Pokashevsky bagley frontcourt end up faring defensively long-term, though? Uh, it doesn't really matter if you score the way that they can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does seem like the wings that you named, uh, power wings that you named possibly for the for the Kings, kind of fit into the spot with New Orleans at number 13 as well. It feels like that's the type of player they, they probably need, unless they want to gravitate towards getting a floor spacing center for those Zion Brandon Ingram lineups, which I think is the correct way to go. I'm not saying in the draft, it feels like they do need that player, but after you're taking Jackson Hayes, do you burn another lottery pick on a big? Yeah. And the only really floor spacing, you know, quote unquote center that there might be is Jalen Smith from Maryland. And I think he'd be a solid fit here. Uh, But I I agree. I think there's probably a, a little more need for just like defensive minded guys or somebody who's going to be more of a floor spacer. So whether that's Bay, uh, Josh Green from Arizona is a name I really like. I don't know if he's quite, you know, a lottery guy. He's knocking on that door though. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've mentioned a bunch of different names throughout that it kind of really makes sense. Even Cole Anthony wouldn't be the worst guy in the world here just to come in and, and kind of carry that second unit long-term. And then, to round out the lottery, we have the Boston Celtics. This oh, yeah. pick, this pick is not what everyone expected it to be. That was like one of the primo trade assets for so long, and then the Grizzlies just came out and blew the doors off their expectations this season. 
if you're Boston, this is a team that I feel like I, they could do whatever they want. You draft best player available. You could also go for fit. But what is the – they also have the number 26th pick, I believe. And so, like, are you trying to move up if you're them? Or do you think that there's a good value that they could get at 14? Yeah, so they have 26 and 30 from Milwaukee. Oh, this I about the Milwaukee pick. Yeah, they have three first-round picks. And if you take a look at their contract situation with – you know, so many young guys on their roster because they they've taken a lot of you know draft picks over the last couple of years. They don't have a lot of room to really take right. th- three rookies on their team, and a huge part of that um, is going to depend upon the development and the belief they have in the the current young guys on their roster. So, I think it's more likely that you know you look at the three picks that they have and say at least one of them needs to be a draft and stash or an international guy that they don't see coming over right away. So if Pokashevsky, Theo Maladon are available, I think they gobble them up. I wouldn't even be surprised if Leandro Bomaro from Barcelona is a name that gets thrown out there. But the later into the first round you go with picks 26 and 30, the less likely you are of getting that quality draft and stash, draft and stash candidate. So 14th wise, like if one of those big names is available and they may jump on it just to say, okay, we've got, the guy of the future who we know is not going to help us right away, but that allows us to really shop around and and be more targeted with picks 26 and 30. That may be the strategy that they go beyond that. If you're watching this series with, uh, with Philadelphia, it's pretty apparent that they need a stretch five. Like they just, they're struggling when they throw the ball to Daniel Tice on the perimeter. And he is just scanning the floor like RoboCop looking and doing a, you know, immediate, analytical dive on what's the best place for him to pass it like he's not looking at the rim very much so I think Jalen Smith and I've been saying this for months would be such a great fit in Boston because of that pick and pop ability in the middle of the floor I would love to see him end up there this also feels weird to say because they have Hayward Brown and Tatum but it does feel like they could kind of use another wing because like after their you know top six players let's say like just going to their bench beyond Marcus Smart like it gets really spotty a little bit quickly. And even if you want to say that Brad Wanamaker gives you enough reserve guard play because you have Marcus Smart, and then you could stagger the minutes of all these other people, it just feels like, you know, you lose Gordon Hayward to injury, and then there's really just no clear cut guy to come in and soak up his minutes because Marcus Smart's already playing so much. Agree. And so with their three picks, they kind of have four different needs. And yeah, I think that one of them is going to end up getting cut out, and that's probably what they feel most comfortable targeting or getting in free agency. So those four needs. The international draft and stash guy, they need a pick and pop five. They need a little more depth on the wings, and they need uh, like a shooting or scoring punch off their bench at the one or the two spot. Those are just those are four different needs that they have. I think they can fill them all, uh, but you know, drafting with a large gap between the 14th pick and the 26th, uh, whatever you decide you're going to do at 14, you're rolling the dice on what else is available at you know 26 and 30. To sort of wrap up, what are names outside the lot that you project to go outside the lottery, even if you're higher on them, um, then the, the consensus would be and, and actually would take them inside the lottery. What are names that we should be watching outside of these top four teams, maybe as we even get into you know, the, the 20s? So a couple guys who I just have this absolute love for. Uh, one is Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. I think that his, his numbers, three-point shooting-wise, look pretty poor on first glance because he was asked to do and undertake the most kind of uh, burdensome three-point shooting season we've ever seen in a Power 5 conference. He took a higher percentage of threes and more threes per game than anyone has in a Power 5 conference before. I think that as soon as his role settles into that catch-and-shoot thing, he's going to be one of those steals in the draft and a guy that we look at and just say, man, he is so elite at this one thing. How did people let him slip through the radar? Uh, a couple other names that I just really like, Precious Achua from Memphis. He's that switchable one through five defender and kind of a, a unique ball of clay. Uh, Tyrell Terry from Stanford, a combo guard who really, really shoots it well. I think he's the perfect fit on any team that has their primary scorer or playmaker as like the three or the four or the five, any of those front court guys. And then one name who I, uh, you know, I love as a role player is Killian Tilly from Gonzaga. He's 22. He's had a ton of injury issues in the past and his, his age, his durability are, are things that really kind of will drive down his draft stock. But in the tail end of the first round as a pure pick and pop five man, who's a little bit underrated defensively, 
I think he's going to have uh, a ton of intrigue. And then, Dan, one last name to throw out to you as somebody that kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm not as high on, but is even receiving some lottery interest is Patrick Williams from Florida State. And he's a pretty strong athlete. He looks exactly the part for what you'd look for as somebody who's your prototypical modern four. But he is a, a really inconsistent three-point shooter. And what he does well on offense kind of violates the, the biggest norm to me of be good at what you're asked to do frequently. You know, he he's a, a, he projects as like this strong potential you know, pull up shooter in the mid range. Like, I don't think that's something that you want one of your auxiliary threats to be doing on offense. You want them to space the floor consistency to three and to, into the corners. So uh, a lot of people are high on Williams for me. I don't see it. I have him as a, a real late first round grade on my board. Uh, but another name for a lot of casual listeners out there, they probably need to familiarize themselves with because he's going to be getting some late lottery looks. I will have to take a look at them. Adam Spins, I so much appreciate your insight. Thank you for, for coming on and taking us through that quasi-lottery uh, lottery mock and then also your, your big board answering all my questions. And I'm sure I'll be DMing you more as we you know continue to ebb further into draft season. If you guys are not following Adam on Twitter, again, I highly recommend you fix that right friggin' now at Spinella14 at S-P-I-N-E-L-L-A-14. Also, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're consuming it. Download every episode. That helps us out a lot. Also, if you're using Apple Podcasts, or even if you're not, please, please, pretty please subscribe. Throw us a rating and write a review. It could say whatever you want. Five stars only, though. Even if you're giving us constructive criticism, we will implement it. Rest assured of that. Until next time, though, I leave you all with the shout-out to, I think, the player that I'm going to become most fascinated with in this draft, even though... uh, Adam doesn't think that he should go to my Knicks is Devin Vassell. Shout out to him. And also spins. Thank you again so much for your time. And as you already know, since I've pestered you now twice in the past three weeks, I will definitely be harassing you again in the near future. Always happy to come on and, and we'll be glad to come back next time you have me. So thank you very much, Dan. Sports are back. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.